This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. Well, it's Sunday morning. Usually on Saturday night, I'll just kind of sit, and when I'm kind of going through things, I'll flip a little bit through Facebook, social media, just to see where people are and what they're thinking. And invariably, there'll be a meme that will come up. And the meme will say something like, let's go to church, let's enjoy church, and I love that, I think that's great. But more often than not, you'll see a meme come up with a picture of a church on it, and a quote from the Psalms which said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And people will put that up to encourage people to to attend worship the next day, to go and and to worship the Lord. But biblically speaking, if we're going to get serious about it, and I understand the intentions and I think those memes are great. Because quite frankly, you and I, in September of 2022, we are incapable of going into the house of the Lord. We can't go to the house of the Lord. You say, wait a minute, pastor. I'm looking around. This looks pretty churchy. Yeah, we can, we can come to the church building. We can come to a house dedicated to God and to the worship of God. But biblically speaking, you and I cannot go to the house of the Lord. Say, what is that about? What do you mean? Well, that, of course, raises the question, well, then what is the house of God? What is the house of God? More often than not, when we talk about the house of God, we're talking about church buildings. Whether they be red brick or clapboard, whether they meet in a storefront or or an old factory, whether they meet in an old movie theater, an auditorium, where is the house of the Lord? Where is the house of God? And of course, that begs the question, what is the house of God? Well, when the Old Testament talks about the house of God, it is not talking about the church building. And that quote is from Psalms, and it's not talking about the church building. It was talking about the literal house that was built to allow the local presence of God to come and dwell as the people worshipped. It began early in the Old Testament when the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness. They erected a tent at God's direction. A big word for that is tabernacle. It's a fun word. But basically what that means, it's a t- it's, it was a tent, a large tent, wherein they would house the Ark of the Covenant, which was a center of their worship as they honored God through bringing their monthly and daily sacrifices to be laid at the seat on that, on that cabinet or the Ark. The priests would minister in offering the sacrifices and they would pray on behalf of the people unto God. And people would come to the temple, the, rather the tabernacle, that tent, And they would honor God in their sacrifices and in their worship. And it's necessary for it to be a tent because they were wandering in the wilderness. They moved around. It was sort of a portable worship building. And as you read the book of Exodus, and as you read through the first five books of the Bible, as the children of Israel moved, the tabernacle would move with them. And when they would set up a camp, the tabernacle would be in the center and all the tents would face 
the tabernacle where people would stay. Time came when finally the people of Israel established under King David Jerusalem as their capital as they took possession of the Holy Land. And after a few centuries, Jerusalem became that capital. And David became their second king. And by Jewish estimations, he was their greatest king. For he walked with the Lord. Yes, he had his faults and yes, he made his mistakes. But overall, he walked with the Lord. And as David had been established in his palace and as the nation was building up the grandeur and splendor of Jerusalem, David noticed something. He saw the tabernacle. And he said, how can I live in such a splendid building in the presence of God be housed in a tent? So David, wanting to honor God, desired to build a, a permanent structure. The center of worship and the place where God's glory could reside. But God didn't let him do it because David had issues. So his son Solomon came. And because Solomon was a man of wisdom and peace granted by God, God enriched him and enabled him to build that building which they called the temple. And the temple, as we're going to see in the next few weeks, was a grand, amazing structure. It was actually at, at its time and at its height one of the great wonders of the world. People would travel all over to come and see the house of God. That's what it was called. God's Shekinah glory would come and dwell as the priest ministered and offered the sacrifices and prayed for the people. The Ark of the Covenant that carried uh, the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and the, and the portions of manna that represented God's presence to Israel during times of difficulty resided in that temple. And that temple was in that place, that first temple for 500 years, five centuries. Until because of Israel's sin, Babylon came in. Because of Israel's rebellion, judgment came. And when the Babylonians came, early in the 6th century B.C., they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed that temple. And they carried off the treasures of the temple. It was at that time that the Ark of the Covenant disappeared. We don't know where it is. Indiana Jones doesn't know where it is. Oh, I've seen the documentaries. I, I followed one guy. He said he found it. He had a documentary. And I sat through that stupid documentary for an hour and 20 minutes. Because he waited that long to show us. He said, I found the Ark of the Covenant. I found it. And I watched that thing. And then he said, here it is. It's been worn out over the years. And what he was looking at was basically a salad bowl that your grandmother probably has. That was an hour and 20 minutes. I will never get back. <laughs> Frankly, we don't know where the Ark is. But after the Babylonians had carried Israel, they were enslaved for 70 years. They were then allowed to return to the land once they repented and got right with God. And as we've been looking on Wednesday night at the book of Zechariah, when they got back, it was a mess. And the temple was in ruins. So they set, set, set their goal on building a new temple, a second temple. And over the decades and centuries, they built this temple and it, it never matched the glory of Solomon's temple. It could never match that splendor and glory, but it was an amazing edifice nonetheless. And it was finally just about completed in Jesus' time, the second temple. 
As a matter of fact, the usurper, the puppet king Herod, in order to garner favor with the Jewish people, put a lot of money and effort into refurbishing that second temple. And it was at the center of Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples had gone to that temple. Jesus died around 30 AD, 33 AD, somewhere around there. A little under 40 years later, after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, the Romans had had enough with the Jewish people. The Jewish people would not march lockstep with Roman religion and theology. And they'd begun to rebel against their Roman captors. And so the Romans came through and just wiped Jerusalem out, scattered the Jews, and destroyed that second temple. Left it in ruins. And since then, there has not been another temple. There has not been a house of God. Since 70 A.D., nearly 2,000 years. Now today, in the place where the temple used to sit, is the Muslim Al-Aqsa Mosque, characterized by the Dome of the Rock, a large gold-plated dome where the, the caliph, the Muslim caliph, Ibn al-Makir, decided he was going to spit in the eye of the Jews and spit in the eye of the church. And he built that Dome of the Rock on that spot in 691 A.D. And today that place, that Temple Mount, is a bone of contention among Jews and Muslims. Some in the church have been there. They visited it. But now, where they went in, you cannot go in there today unless you're accompanied And you cannot even go as far as maybe some of you have been able to go because the Muslims are protecting it. They had a riot recently there because of it. But today there is no house of God. There hasn't been a temple, a house of God, again, since 70 AD. So what now? Where is the house? What now? Why is it a big deal, Pastor? Why are you even preaching on this subject? Well, the the fact of the matter is, The house of God does still exist. But currently, it's not in Jerusalem. Oh, it's, it's partly in Jerusalem. But the house of God exists all over the world. It has existed all over the world since Acts chapter 2. God allowed that second temple to be destroyed. Why? Because He raised up another temple. And as we open the Scripture this morning, and as we begin this series, Not only is there a house of God, but you know and you've been there and you've seen it. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you see the house of God every day. When you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, you're staring at the house of God. The Bible tells us that God has taken up residence. The glory of God, the Spirit of God has taken up residence within you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Paul says as much in our scripture this morning, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's dealing with the issues going on at the church at Corinth, and they were having them, man. Corinth was a rough place. It was the Las Vegas of its on steroids. Las Vegas today is thought of as Sin City. Corinth made today's Las Vegas look like Disney World. 
And Paul and his disciples founded a church there. But the church struggled with its flesh and struggled with its pride. Not too soon after the church was founded, they began to get caught up in celebrity and personality. They began to break up in factions because that's what people do. Clicks. One group said, listen, I was saved and baptized under Paul's ministry. Another group said, well, I was saved and baptized under the scholar Apollos. And they began to cheer for their favorite Christian celebrity and they began to identify with them and, and they began to split. Paul wasn't having any of that because that's not the way it should be. So Paul, one of the reasons he wrote 1 Corinthians under God's direction and inspiration was to correct these issues. And Paul wanted to help them to understand very clearly the nature of ministry and the nature of people in the ministry. Because ultimately, the church of Jesus Christ does not belong to one man or one woman. The church of Jesus Christ is not, is not gracing celebrity. The church of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ first spoke of the church, he said, I will build my church. Just like today, West Concord Baptist Church is not Mike Farley's church. It's not Aaron Thomas's or Mike Brooks or Barry Fisher. It's not, it's not Gigi's church. It's not Matt Russell's church. It is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted to say, look, Paul, Apollos, all of these guys, we're fellow laborers. We each have our ta task to do. Just like in a field, the farmer comes and one person plants the seed and another comes and waters and then another reaps the harvest. And Paul began to use the farmer metaphor, but then he switched gears. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. We work together. And you are God's field. And then he changed gears. And it's interesting. He said, not only are you God's field, but look what he says in verse 9. You are God's building. You are God's building. As a believer in Christ, you become the building of God. You become the abode of God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unveil this, unravel this, and help us to understand why it's necessary to see ourselves individually and as the church, the building of God. This house that we're in, which is the subject of so much idolatry and consternation, is simply wood and steel and, and brick and mortar. It is a house dedicated to God, but the reality is you as a believer and I as a believer are the ultimate house of God. We are the building that we, that we characterize ourselves as and as God has characterized us. Notice he says, you are God's building According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. So as Paul is talking about being the building of God, the, the church is a body and individual Christians, we're a building and, and more so we're a building project. We're a building project. I was listening earlier to some of the guys in church talking about the projects they're doing at home. Dan, I think, blew out his electricity this morning. And all the other guys were telling them how to fix it. You know what my remedy for that is? I got it from Andy Griffith because that is the seat of wisdom. Call the man, okay? 
But nonetheless, we all have, if you own a home, even if you rent, you always have chores and it's always an ongoing thing. But if you've ever been involved in a building project, you know that there are materials, there's a process, there's an end goal. You're building that building for a reason, whether it's a doghouse or a mansion. You and I are not only God's building, but we are a building project. And Paul was telling the Corinthians, look, you are God's building. Paul said, I'm the, I laid the foundation. What is the foundation? Well, when you build any kind of a building, I'm not handy. I'm not necessarily a carpenter or, or, or I, can, I can't do much. I can do what I'm told. But I know that when you build a building, you need to lay a good foundation. You are the building of God. And so if we're the building of God, what is the building's foundation? Well, let's look at what Paul says. Again, in chapter 3, he says, I have laid the foundation. Well, what is the foundation? And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. As the building of God, your foundation and my foundation was laid the moment we heard the gospel and received Christ as our Savior. You see, we as God's building, we're framed by the grace of God. For instance, whenever you build a building, you you usually draw plans for it. I remember when we left White Street and moved out here. We went months, if not years, working out the plans and the specifics for the building you're sitting in right now. I remember seeing the, the blueprints and the drawings and the site views and all of those things. I remember seeing this building on paper. It was exciting. It was exciting to look at what it could be in the artist's rendering. When God looks at us, God looks at us with love. And by His grace, He fashions and begins to fashion a building. By His grace, He sets the the blueprints of what life has been and what, what life should be. And so as God begins to frame that building out, it is framed by His grace. It's interesting, a building does not build itself, does it? Somebody has to build it. Even the prefab buildings they talk about, somebody has to bring the walls and the foundation in and put them up. Somebody has to have envisioned what that was supposed to look like. God did. God knew humanity was broken and fallen and sinful. And God God imagined and framed out what His building and what He wants His building, the people of God, to look like. And it's by grace. For none of us can do anything to build and, uh, initially, and, and none of us can, can do anything of ourselves. It is God who has, who has provided that framework. He has framed out the building which you and I are by His grace, according to the grace of God which is given to me. Paul said, I brought that grace, the gospel message. And again, you frame out a building, you, you, you plan it out, you put the blueprints out, and then the very first thing you do is lay the foundation. I remember what the building we're in now. Because of a cold, hard winter, we had to put off the ground breaking for a few weeks. So when we came out to break ground, this is the West Concord way of doing stuff. When we came out to break ground, the ground, quite frankly, had already been broken and a foundation existed. I remember with the gold shovel and some other people sitting there breaking ground and people probably driving by thinking they're a little late. Because the foundation, the concrete foundation had already been poured and it was good and strong. 
You see, you and I are the building of God. God framed us out by His grace, what, we want, what He wants us to be, what we should be. Saved and sanctified. And then Jesus Christ Himself is the chief cornerstone, according to 1 Peter. Jesus Christ is the foundation. Paul said when he took the gospel of Christ to the Corinthians and they received Christ, he laid the foundation by presenting that gospel. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the life of the believer. And the life of the believer should be built upon that because again in verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Christ Jesus. As a body of Christ, as a church, the foundation of who we are and what we do must be on Christ. It cannot be on material things or money. It cannot be on personalities or power. The foundation of West Concord Baptist Church, while the physical building is concrete, the spiritual body should be Christ alone. Not only that, for you as the building of God, as the personal embodiment and the personal indwelling of the Spirit of God, you also are to be founded and set on Christ. So the building's foundation has been established and framed out by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, founded on the gospel, the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's the foundation of God's building, God's house. What about the building's materials? Because Paul talks about the fact that this is not just a one-time thing, but we are a building project. You and I are building projects. We got established when we received Christ as our Savior. The foundation was laid. When I got saved in 1978, my foundation was laid in Christ. But now it was necessary that I build up on that foundation through yieldedness and service to Him. Can you imagine 18 years later if we were sitting right now out in the elements on concrete? No, you lay a foundation because you're going to build upon that. And you and I partnering with God, we build a life. We build a building. As the church, we build. And as individuals, we build. And so like you're going to build a building, you got to get materials. You got to get materials. You got to buy lumber. You got to buy concrete. You got to buy steel, mortar, brick. You got to buy carpeting and chairs and paint and drywall. You got to do all those. You all understand that. In order to build something, you have to have materials. And Paul says, as we build our lives in Christ, here are the materials. Look at verse 12. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, stop. So here we see the variety of the building materials that God calls forth. These are metaphorically referred to as gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. What, are they, what is he talking about? Well, you know, when you build a building, you want that building to be strong. Like I told you, if I went out and built you a building, you wouldn't want to go in it. I would try to buy good materials, but I don't have the talent or ability to put it together, and it would probably fall down on you. Okay, the only building I ever built was a doghouse. And the dog didn't even know what it was. <laughs> yeah, I ain't going in there. 
But the building materials, when we build our lives, how do we do that? It's by what we do to honor the Lord. How we spend our lives. How we build upon that foundation. It's interesting that he makes us responsible for building that building just as King Solomon and just as, as, the, as the leaders in the second temple were responsible for building that edifice. So you and I are tasked with building this temple, this physical embodiment of God's presence. So the materials he talks about are gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are nice materials. Can you imagine building a building with those things? Solomon's temple, the Bible tells us, was overlaid with pure sheets of pure gold. Could you imagine cresting the horizon, coming to Jerusalem at the heat and the noon of the day, seeing the sun glint off of that beautiful sight? I could, you can only imagine. It's a shame they didn't have photography back then. What a beautiful sight that must have been. And you know, you can imagine just gold, silver, and precious stones. And I, want, and I understand if you're building something today, it almost costs that much now to get building materials. Gold, silver, and precious stones are materials that represent those moments and those times of yieldedness to God as his building. As we yield ourselves to serve him, as we, as we honor him in our service and in our commitments and our surrender. Whenever you honor him by teaching, whenever you honor him by singing, whenever you honor him by serving in his ministry, you're building with those wonderful, splendid building materials. As you yield your life to him in holiness and try to walk with him, you're building with those beautiful building materials. It's a mixture of not only what you do for Christ as a believer, but also who you are in Christ as a believer. You are literally building God's house in that and as you yield to him and as you honor him through your attitudes and your actions, as you give to him your time, talents, and treasures, you are building with those wonderful, splendid building materials. Well, what about the wood, hay, and stubble? Who in the world would use wood, hay, and stubble to build their house? We've all heard the story of the three pigs. You build with wood, hay, and stubble, the big bad wolf's going to come blow it down. But nonetheless, he lists wood, hay, and stubble. Those building materials are representative of the things we do for our own benefit. When we live life as a believer, but in such a way that it's selfish and prideful. When we actually refuse to fellowship with him, dishonor him. When our time, talents, and treasures are spent on personal desires and wants and lusts. When faced with worship, we do something else. When, when, when need of prayer comes, we ignore it. When somebody needs to hear the gospel, we walk past them. In other words, a life that is spent on self rather than God. Those are represented by wood, hay, and stubble. So picture your life as a building and a building project. As a believer, you laid the foundation in Jesus Christ when you trusted him. And then as you began to live, you began to erect an edifice. And no, you can't see it. You can't touch it. But God sees it. And you begin to erect this temple, this house. It goes on in individual church lives and it goes on as the church body. 
And as you yield and surrender to God and honor Him, gold, silver, precious stones, but as you dishonor Him, as you ignore Him, as you, as you just kind of become wishy-washy, wood, hay, and stubble. So I wonder, what does your building look like? What does your temple look like? That's the variety of the building's materials. Let's look at the quality. Again, you have gold, silver, and precious stones. That's pretty quality. That's wonderful. It's amazing. But wood, hay, and stubble is kind of questionable. So as we look at the quality of these building materials, let's look at what Paul says about them. So now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble, look at verse 13. Each one's work. These materials are representative of the believer's work in Christ and for Christ. Each one's work will become clear. You say, but wait a minute, Pastor, you just said we can't see it. We can't see it now. But there's coming a time when you and I will stand before Christ. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now this Christ, this judgment rather, does not determine heaven or hell. That was determined when by faith you laid that foundation of Christ. You trusted and received Christ as your Savior. This judgment is for those who are believers that will occur in heaven. As we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Each one's work will become clear then. For the day, that day of judgment, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by what? Fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So there is coming a day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our building will then become evident. Our building will become tangible and visible for all the inhabitants of heaven to see. You and I as individuals, collectively as a church, and there we will be with our buildings made of Gold, silver, jewels, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. That'll be an odd-looking building, won't it? Well, again, as we said, a building is only as good as the quality of the materials used to build it. So God is going to call for somebody to come and light your building and my building on fire. Hmm. I don't know how, the, I always try to picture that. Is there going to be some angel standing beside with a box of matches? All right, Mike Farley's up. Get the matches out. You better bring two, okay? Because God says he's going to test the quality of the life that we've built in him with a fiery test. Now, notice what he says as we go on and talk about this. So we see, we see the quality of these building materials. And we see the quality of their proven character. Again, think of those wonderful, expensive, valuable materials against the shabby, stubbly, nasty materials. This quality is going to be tested for its proven character. When they light that fire, what's going to happen? Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was a pyromaniac. And I hung around with pyro. We burnt everything. Because we were kids, we didn't have cell phones and, and tablets, so we were a bit more curious in more destructive and dangerous ways. It's a wonder some of us lived through the 1960s. But I remember we burnt everything just to see how, we want to know what it looked like burning. I nearly got killed when we threw a can of bug spray into a fire. That was what we call today stupid. 
I have a scar on my thumb because I wanted to see what my plastic model airplane looked like if it actually had caught fire. And a piece of it dripped on my thumb and burnt a hole in it. So, you know. But I do remember we had to be careful because if wood, hay, and straw got nearby, poof, it would go up. It would catch fire. Wood, hay, and straw, you light it on fire, it's gone in a second. Because basically it's wood, hay, and straw. It's worthless. But if on the other hand you take gold and silver and jewels and precious stones and you light them on fire, they'll burn, they'll change, but they'll become more valuable. They'll become more pure and more valuable. And that's how God is going to test the quality of the lives that we've built as the temple, as the house of God. We're also going to see the quality of their permanent value. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Once that fire hits it, if that work endures, there will be a heavenly reward. However, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so through fire. In other words, again, this judgment doesn't determine salvation. Your salvation was determined when you received Christ, when you laid that foundation of the faith in the, in the gospel of Christ. But one day, all of us, me included, you included, if you know Christ, you will be standing before God and everything will be made known, everything laid bare. And when God looks at you, He's going to see a building created and made by your efforts or lack thereof. And the quality of the character is going to be tested by fire. Here's the thing, wood, hay, and stubble, you light that stuff up, it's gone. It does not last. It burns up. Gold, jewels, and precious stones get pure and endure. And they have an eternal quality to them. And so this is what your life, my brother and sister in Christ, will be. You are now in a building project. You laid the foundation when you received Christ, but now as you live, this morning, you are, you are building on that building. When you go home today, you will be building on that building. When you get up to go to school tomorrow, you're building. When you go to work tomorrow, you're building. When you go to, go to the mall, when you go to Walmart, when you go out and mow your grass, you're building. When you sit down and talk with your friends, you have dinner with your family, you're building. When you open the Scriptures and seek God's face, when you pray, when you share the Gospel, you're building. That's why you must take living for Christ seriously because you are the building of God. You are the house of God. And one day you and I will stand before God as the temple of God. And He's going to strike a match. So those are the building materials. Building's only as good and only as strong as the materials used to build it. You can have an amazing foundation. You can have an indestructible foundation. But you use shabby materials and shabby workmanship. That building's going to fall apart and be dangerous. Won't even be able to be livable. That's your life and my life as believers represented. 
You see, God allowed the second temple to be destroyed in 70 AD because God was raising you and I up, the church, to now be the temple. You and I carry God within us. And the building materials are going to be one day checked. And the reason why this is so important, it's because of the building's occupant. You build a building to put someone or something in it. Again, even if you build a doghouse, you put your favorite pet in there, your dog in there. If you build a house, you hope you or another family lives in it. If you build a business, you hope people will come and do business there. If you build a a church building, you hope people will come and worship. People, you build a building to put things or people in it. Who is the occupant of us as the building? Well, that's simple. Paul tells us in verse 16, do you not know? Paul's sitting here making a point. Do you not know? Look at this. Mark it if it's your Bible. Mark it if it's not. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? The temple of God in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temples that were built, they were built for the purpose of housing the glory of God. The localized presence of God. Yes, God is everywhere present, but God would localize His presence for the Jews as they worshipped Him. God then indwelt Christ as He came into into the world with flesh. And now through Christ, through faith in Christ, God now indwells in us. You and I are sealed with the Spirit of God. You are the temple of Almighty God. And that's why it's so important. Listen, If you were building a house for your family, you would want the best materials. You would want to spare no expense to make that building for your family, for your children, for your spouse. Whoever you loved that you were building that for, you would want that to be the best, most enduring building. That's when King Solomon built the temple for Almighty God. It was a splendid building resplendent in pageantry and and, and gold. Not to bring honor to Solomon, but to bring honor and glorify God because God deserves nothing less. Am I right? So you understand that you and I are the temple of God. Paul says as much. God is the occupant And in a real sense, believers are the human temple of God. So the house of God still exists. We're not in it. We are it. Do you understand? This is not the house of God. This is a house dedicated to the worship of God. But the house of God looks at yourself in the mirror every day. If you know Christ. You are the temple of God. Believers are the human temple. The human house of God. And because of that, notice what he says. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles, or the word literally means destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is what? Holy. Which temple you are. Now that last section is just pregnant with theology and implications. We worship our bodies in this culture today. 
We worship our bodies. Oh, we have to have this. We worship our bodies. We worship other people's bodies. Understand this. Your body and my body, this is just a case. You know, I talk to people who are nervous about being up in front of people. They're afraid to speak in front of people. I tell them, look, think of yourself as a cup of coffee. I love coffee or whatever drink. You might like soda, whatever drink. But when I drink coffee, I'm not too concerned about the cup as much as I am the coffee. That's what I want. The cup is just a cup. My mother used to give me a hard time because when I was younger, I'd go out and mow her lawn. I'd come into the kitchen after being that hot Florida sun mowing in her lawn and I'd go into all the dishes were in the dishwasher washing. So I'd reach up into the cabinet in the kitchen. I'd find a flower vase that wasn't being used. And I'd put ice and water in that flower vase. And I'd sit there and drink that water, especially as a nice big flower vase. I'd drink water out of that flower vase. My mother came up, what are you doing? I said, mom, I'm thirsty. Well, we'll get a cup. I said, they're in the dishwasher. Well, that's a vase for flowers. I said, now it's a cold cup of water. Logic was lost though sometimes. It didn't matter what held the water. I wanted the cold water when I want a coffee. But it's what's necessary for the cup is A, that is it clean and has no cracks. And B, will it hold? You and I are the temple of God. We defile the temple when we give ourselves over to our fleshly desires. When we get involved in sin in this world, when our our body becomes the idol instead of the God receiving worship within us. Yes, we should keep our bodies healthy. Yes, we should keep our bodies strong. Not because we want to impress people, but because we want to be able to serve God with all of our capacity. But at the end of the day, as God dwells in us, just like we would want a house that was quality and built with quality materials, we should allow our house, God's house, to be wholly set apart from him. We have no business chasing after the things of the world. We have no business defiling our our bodies with sexual immorality or anything like that. Our bodies are the literal house of almighty God. And tangibly and truthfully speaking, just as Solomon's glittering building was the temple and house of God, now if you're a believer, you are the house of God. And as such, you and I needed to be dedicated to the Lord. I mean, imagine this. We always think of this building as the house of God. Suppose I came in here and and showed a very explicit sexual movie in here. You would fire me and well, you should. Suppose we came in here and we opened up a casino in the sanctuary or in the fellowship hall. Even saying a four-letter word, people would be scandalized. This is the church. This is God's building. This is a holy place. We shouldn't do things like that in the church. And to some extent, that's true. This is God's place. So we've committed it to him. But here's the thing. You are the temple of God if you're a believer. Do you ever get that concerned with your body as much as you do with this church building? We're going to talk about these things in the coming weeks. How are we using God's temple? We are God's house. God says, if you destroy or defile the temple, I'm coming after you. God's not going to put up with it. We talked last week about the sin unto death from 1 John 5. 
those people that lost their lives and continue to do so at different times today and the sin uh, that leads into death, whatever habitual uh, uh, rebellious sin they're involved in, there's going to come a time where God's going to say, you're gone. Even that incestuous man in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul said, listen, I'm going to deliver him up to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, even though he'll go and be with God. So we're going to talk about our bodies. We're going to talk about the fact that we need to live as truly temples of God. And here's the thing. Look what he says at at the end of verse uh, 17. For God's temple is holy. Our bodies are supposed to be holy and surrendered and committed to the things of God. Which temple you are. So the foundation of the temple, the temple still exists today. The, the house of God still exists today. And no, you're not in it. No, it doesn't have a steeple. The temple exists today in you. You are the temple, the house of God as a believer. That foundation for that building was laid when you received Christ. And then as you live your life and serve Him and work for Him, you're building it up. You're a building project. And understand this, one day those materials that you've chosen will be tested. And the reason why that's so important is because the occupant of your temple, the occupant of you, is God Himself. God Himself. I leave you with 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul here making this very clear for us to understand. And he says to the Ephesians, he says, in whom, in him rather, you also trusted. Talking about our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ. In in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation, foundation laid. In whom also having believed, notice this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God's Spirit came to indwell in you. He goes on to say, Who, the Spirit, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, that's you, to the praise of the glory. That word guarantee literally means engagement ring. You know, when somebody gets engaged, they keep themselves pure, or at least ideally they should keep themselves pure until they're married. Focused on that one individual. God's Spirit is our engagement ring. We are sealed with Him. We become His temple. And so where is the temple? Where is the house of God? What is the house of God? Bottom line, here it is. You're a believer. You are the temple of God. You are. When you stand before Christ one day, what are you going to look like? When that match is struck or however God brings that fire of testing, what's going to burn and what's going to stay? Are you living as though God were the occupant? That you are the container? You are the carrier? You are the vessel that God has chosen to take up residence in? You are the temple of God. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.